Can you say this with me? God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. That's about it. <laughs> That's it in a nutshell. I've learned that, that it doesn't matter where you're at, what phase of your life you're in, God is good all the time. Some of the less significant things that I've learned at Calvary Community Church, no matter how fast you run the 50-yard dash at a women's retreat, the Lord still waits for you around the next corner. <laughs> no matter how you resist and plan to avoid it, when the Lord comes on, on you, you will fall over. I found out that when the Lord really moves on me, my lip twitches like Elvis. <laughs> I learned that God can speak to you through cotton and squirrels and apple trees and wasps. I've learned to never say never to the Lord because I told him when I moved here I wasn't moving again. I've learned practical lessons and heart lessons from Christ School of Ministry. I've learned that people that you've known seven years or less can become your family and feel like you've known them all your life. I've learned a heart of gratitude for all that he's done, even in the wilderness, because this has been a wilderness experience for the most part for me. Um, it's been hard financially. My husband's faced cancer. We went through that together. We've lost his mother, a multitude of things. And now we're moving away and leaving our oldest daughter behind to go to college. But in the wilderness, I've learned a lot of lessons that he is our cloud by day and our pillar of fire by night, that he will <clears throat> guide us and direct us and his presence will be with us, even in the wilderness, that he provides manna and quail and water, that his provision is sufficient and it's there every day. I learned that you're not alone in the deserts. The Israelites wandered as a huge tribe and I've wandered in my wilderness with a loving family here at Calvary Community. I've learned that there are giants in the promised land. I think about moving away and leaving all you guys and leaving my daughter behind. But I want to be a Joshua and a Caleb and go to where God has called me to go. There's my other page. <laughs> but the single most important thing that I'm taking away, I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a testimony. And I, I really hope you'll bear with me. It, it may take a few minutes, but I really... There's somebody here that needs to hear this. Um, several years ago, I was at a church, and we were asked to pray, just as Byron did pretty much this morning, to let go, to give God control over everything in our lives. And I did that with a sincere heart. And a few short months later, my first baby died. So what resulted from that was this fear of letting go and giving God control because what if I do this and somebody else dies? So that just kind of stuck with me. And for years I struggled with this control issue of wanting to God to be in control and knowing, of course, that he is in control. But I went through this vicious cycle of trying to do it and striving in my own strength and not being able to do it and getting more and more depressed. So consequently, a couple years ago, I went through a severe depression. And a lot of y'all walked through it with me. You prayed for me and loved me in spite of myself. And Byron and Becky counseled with me. I was prayed for. I even prayed, you know, got prayed for deliverance in case it was demons that was attacking me. And Byron and Becky gave me this book called There Was Two Trees in the Garden. And I didn't get it at the time, but after many months, it finally stuck. 
So that's what I'm here to share, um, is this, the two trees in the garden from my own perspective. We have to go back to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man who he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Down in verse 16 it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day of it you will surely die. And then he made Eve and put her in the garden. And it says, They were both naked, the man and his wife, but they were not ashamed. Now we all know what happens next. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And the Lord God, and the man said, The woman that you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, so I ate. And then on down in verse 22 it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also the tree of life and live and eat eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And then following that in John 10.10, it says, The enemy, and this is Jesus talking, The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So what we've got, we've got Adam and Eve who were blessed to fellowship with the Lord, that they didn't know the difference between good and evil. They just saw everything around them and that it was beautiful. And then they decided to eat of the knowledge of good and evil, and they fell. They fell away from God. They hid themselves. And this is what happened in my life, I came to know the Lord and I fellowshiped with him and he was beautiful to me. And then I ate of that tree, the wrong tree, that told me I knew what could happen if I gave God control. If I walked with him, the good and the evil could happen. My eyes were open to the fact that you can lose a child. Your finances can be desperate. Your husband can get ill. And I walked in that, in the knowledge of good and evil, rather than walking from the tree of life. So it took years 
of this depression and not giving God control and hiding from Him before I finally reached the point where nothing else mattered but God. I knew I had a beautiful family. I knew that I had a nice home and a good job. I knew that I had everything that I could want to be blessed with, but I didn't know that God loved me completely because I had eaten off the wrong tree. I was hiding from God. So eventually I just got to the point where I wanted to die. I just wanted to go be with him so that I would know for sure that he loved me. That was the only way I could figure I'd ever find out. And I remember one night vividly Jim said, you know, what? you've got me, you've got the girls, what more do you want? And I, I was holding my Bible and I said, none of that matters if I can't get this from in here to in here. It might be in here, but it wasn't here. And I had to reach the lowest low before I could finally say, God, it doesn't matter. You are in control because nothing else matters but you. Jesus had come to give me life. The enemy had come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus had come to give me life, and that more abundantly. And once I refocused on him and started to fellowship with him, then I did have that life more abundantly. And there are days where I want to take control back, but it's so much easier now to go, no, I'm not eating of that tree again. I hope to goodness that I've made sense here because there's somebody that needs to hear this. You're hiding from God. You're trying to control what you're doing with your life, whether it's with bad things or with good things. You're striving or struggling, or else you're running away into drugs or or alcohol or something else. But you don't have to hide. He loves you. He created you for fellowship. Jesus came that we would have life and that more abundantly. Just... Like Byron said, open your hand and release it all to him and he will give you life more abundantly. Powerful, isn't it? Amen. I think it's something not just for one person but for all of us, Nancy. So, bless you. Amen. I want to introduce our guest speaker this morning, uh, Dennis DeGrasse. Come on up here now, Dennis. Most of y'all know Dennis. He's been here before. He's uh, from Pennsylvania. He's moved to Pennsylvania now. Uh, Dennis uh, is from the prophetic stream. So uh, we were hoping that Dennis was going to be here. I announced last week that he would be be back tonight to do personal prophetic ministry, but Dennis's mother-in-law, not mother-in-law, stepmother, passed away Thursday. So Dennis needs to take off right after church and go to Indiana to be with his, his elderly dad and help him through this time. So, But Dennis is going to share some a little bit, and then uh, what we're going to do is when he's finished sharing, we're going to uh, end the service and dismiss everybody who wants to go, and Dennis will... And then those of you who want to stay who would like to re, uh, receive personal prophetic ministry, Dennis will be willing to do that this morning before he takes off. Are, are you with me? Yes. Amen. So let's bless Dennis. Lord bless him. God, I really know that Dennis has come here in the past and has really you know, given us 
stuff that was really on your heart. I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you that you've somehow caused our paths to intersect in life, Lord. Just bless what he says today. God, anoint him. Give him grace to, to speak the truth, Lord. Uh, even if we may not even want to hear the truth always, Lord, I pray he would be graceful to speak it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Uh, I've got just a few things to share here by way of prophetic report, and I just have a few things that the Lord spoke to me over there that we'll, we'll release in ministry and just see where it goes from there. In 1 Corinthians 3.5, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'm using the Young's literal translation this morning, so it won't exactly match your Bible, but you can follow along if you want. In 1 Corinthians 3.5, who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministrants through whom ye did believe, and to each as the Lord gave. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was giving growth, so that neither is he who is planting anything, nor is he who is watering, but he who giveth growth, God. And he who is planting and he who is watering are one, and each his own reward shall receive according to his own labor. For of God were fellow workmen, God's tillage, God's building, ye are. So we're God's field. That's what the tillage is. It's the field. And uh, we're God's building. Two analogies here that help us to understand what God's doing in our midst. And all those things have a process connected to them, don't they? This building didn't just appear out of thin air. There was a lot of excavation that took place, a lot of planning, a lot of building, a lot of labor. A lot of fitting pieces together, a lot of vision to see it, to see it before it even started. And the same thing with planting. Planting is, there, there's a labor that's involved in it. There's the clearing of the land. There's the plowing of the land. All that that goes with it. And as I waited upon the Lord and prayed for you, I saw a farmer who was hard at work in his fields. And the farmer was the Lord and you were the field. And he has tested your soil and he knows what needs to be done to get the kind of increase he's looking for. And all soil isn't perfect, is it? But you can get a soil sample and take it somewhere, and they'll test it, and they'll tell you what it needs. And, uh, you know, if you don't give it what it needs, you won't get the kind of crop you want. But if you'll make sure that it has what it needs, it'll grow anything. And so God was doing that. And uh, he says that, uh, he said, don't say in your heart that the enemy is at work. Sometimes we blame the devil for things that God's doing. Hello? <laughs> you know, don't we? I mean, we just get, if, if things don't go our way or we have setbacks or frustration in life, we tend to blame it all on the devil. But sometimes God is hindering and slowing things down and doing things in our life that need to be done for his vision to take place. Now, see, he knows, first of all, you need to understand the Lord is bigger than your enemy. God's bigger than the devil. I mean, two or three people agree with that, but some of the others, maybe we need to all say amen. amen. That, you know, and the devil is, is God's devil. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, he may have rebelled, but he's still God's devil. The Bible says that through Jesus was everything made that was made, and that includes the devil. And it was not only made by him, but it was made for him. And so that Jesus is still the devil's master. He never bowed the knee to him. He's still his master. and he's the, So the devil is God's devil. Now, he doesn't do everything that God wants, but God can keep him on a short leash. 
And there's times when he releases him to do things. Like one day he stood before Peter and he said, Peter, uh, you know, he said, the devil has desired to sift you like wheat. And apparently he got permission to do it. But he said, I've prayed for your faith. And after you've been through this whole thing and fallen flat on your face and denied me, and all, then when you get restored, you come back and strengthen the brethren. They're going to need what you're going to get through this. And so even though the devil was the one that did it, he'd gotten permission from God. God said, go ahead, work him over, but his faith isn't going to fail. And so the Lord is bigger than your enemy. The field which is the church is the Lord's field. And he knows what needs to be added and what needs to be removed in order to make you produce good and lasting fruit for his glory. Trust him as never before and stop trying to measure everything as though you are the farmer. You are the field under his care. He's giving you grace and mercy to help in time of need. And he will cause you to rejoice, though now you may feel the discomfort of being plowed, dissed, and harrowed. <laughs> that really made you happy, didn't I? I can see that. <laughs> Don't allow yourself to get caught up in the process, but keep your eyes on the results. Look ahead and rejoice. He's given you a vision and a purpose, and he will allow you to see more than you have. Just ask him. Now, he'll not allow you to see all that you want, but there's some things that he'll let you see that are needful for this time. So whatever you're going through as a church, whatever processes God is doing in your midst, these kind of things are not things we generally associate with good times. They're the dealings of God. We go through difficult times and testings and losses and times of sorrow and times of having to give things up and lay things down and maybe take up things that we didn't want. But if we'll just allow God to give us that grace, it's those that receive the abundance of grace that reign in life. God has grace to give, but are we receivers of it? You know, if we don't want the grace, if we don't want the change, if we don't want, you know, then we may frustrate the grace. But if we'll just say, okay, God, you win. I embrace whatever you're doing. God gives us a grace, all of a sudden we change on the inside. And what was a trial, what was a heartache, what was a... It all of a sudden changes and we're ch because we've changed. It's the same thing that's there before, but we're different and we look at it in a different way. We relate to it in a different way. So God is calling you to embrace the change that He's doing, embrace the, the work that He's doing in you as a field. There's an end result that's coming, a bumper crop. <laughs> Amen. You're going to be waist-high in cotton before you know it. Of course, and that means somebody's got to pick the cotton, doesn't it? So it's all, there's always something to do. There's always a labor involved, but God has a grace to give to you. The second thing in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41, we see this picture of Elijah. Now, Elijah was a mighty man of God, and God was dealing with Israel because of the idolatry. And God had spoken to Elijah that he was to command the heavens to hold the rain and so for over three years it hadn't rained and so now it came time God said that he was about to intervene and do something in Israel it was time for it to rain again and so Elijah goes and calls together all the false prophets and he calls all the people of Israel up to this place with this high place where they build an altar two altars one for Baal and one for God and and there was it was a showdown high noon <laughs> you know, just like the old Western film, two guys out on the street, and here's Elijah, one man against all these 1,200 gunslingers, you know. And, and uh, you know, they, they put their 
their sacrifice up there and they do all their things and they cut themselves and they leap around and Elijah's saying helpful things to them like, well, maybe you ought to yell louder. Maybe God's asleep, you know, and well, maybe your God's on vacation down at the coast, you know, little things like that to stir them up and they do more things and finally they, they just run out of time and so now Elijah just, you know, he brings up 12 barrels of water, which was quite a bit of excess in the time of drought. <laughs> But he just poured out that 12 barrels of water on the, on the, uh, over the sacrifice, soaked it just as good as he could, and then he just said, Okay, God, show them who you are. Kaboom! I mean, fire fell. It destroyed the, took this, sucked up the offering, destroyed the, ro- the rocks that it was made, all the dust. It just consumed everything that was there. And so then God said, Okay, who are you going to serve now? Before that, he'd ask that question, Who is God? Is it Baal? Or Jehovah, and everybody just was real quiet. But now he said it, who's God? And everybody just fell on their face and said, God is the only true God. Then, of course, they executed all the false prophets. The Civil Liberties Union would have had a heyday with that one, wouldn't they? And uh, then he goes, the Bible says, he, he's, now he's moving into the second phase. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink because of the sound of the noise of the shower. Now, he was hearing something in his spirit. See, he heard the sound of rain in his spirit because God had spoken a word into his heart. See, when God speaks to us, all of a sudden it releases something inside of us that we can hear things that nobody else is, is hearing and we can see things that other people can't see and it motivates us to an action that may seem ridiculous to somebody else. And so... The Bible says, Ahab goeth up to eat and to drink, and Elijah hath gone up under the top of Carmel, and he stretcheth himself out upon the earth. Now, really what's happening here is he's getting down in the birthing position. And in the birthing position, I understand in the Middle East, they sort of, they're down on their knees, and they sort of bow over, and that's how they birth. And so here he is. You can just see him down here just birthing this thing that God had spoken into him, and and we see him praying, and he's got his servant there, and he says, he begins to pray, and he says, go up, stand on the hill. Do you see anything? And he went up there. No, don't say anything. So he's down there birthing, praying some more. Sends him up there seven times. On the seventh time, he said, well, I see a cloud that's about as thick as a man's hand. You know, you could just see a hand up there. He said, see, I see something forming up there. And he said, that's it. And he said, better tell Ahab to go home or he's going to get caught in a cloud burst. Now, what's we, what we see taking place here is, see, Elijah prayed until he heard from God. Now, you know, Elijah had been praying for Israel. And uh, whenever we're in, the, in a nation that's being dealt with, you, don't, you have to understand that if you're there, you're a part of it. So whatever discomfort your nation's going through, uh, you're there too. And sometimes that can motivate us to pray. God, help us. <laughs> we're going through hard times as a nation. Do so. So Abraham... Elijah had been praying, and now he had heard from God, it's time for it to rain. So what did he do? He went up on that mountain, and he got down on his face, and he prayed what he heard. He said, God, you said it's supposed to rain, and so he began to command the rain to come. He began to speak. I remember one summer, it was over, I was living over on the eastern shore in Delray. It was so hot. Lord have mercy, it was hot. And just something rose up in me, and I commanded the the jet stream to dip down out of Canada was so hot. You know what happened the next day? The jet stream dipped down out of Canada and brought cool air. I was amazed. 
I was standing in the house the other day. I was leaving the house to go on a trip, and this big old fly had gotten in somehow. You could hear it all over, all over the house, and my little poodle was going crazy trying to catch that fly. And as I was leaving, uh, something just spoke to me and says, just hold the door open and command that fly to come out. So I looked around to see if anybody was. <laughs> I was all by myself. So I said, okay, fly, come on out in the name of Jesus. And I said, okay, come on. I thought, wow, even the flies obey him. See, when we've heard something from the Lord. See, the trick is to hear, though. This just wasn't Elijah's wish. This wasn't just because he was tired of the process. He'd heard from God. And so he prayed until he heard, and then he prayed what he heard, and then he prayed until what he heard is what he saw. So, amen? Now, I heard the Lord speaking to you. I saw another picture relating to farming. Are there, are there any farmers in here, ex-farmers or anything? Anybody come from a farm background? It's a few. The farm, farm people really appreciate God and his intervention and the, and the natural order of things. And so science can, has never been able to take the place of what God can do in that area. And so I just saw a man standing once again in a field that was dry and it was in desperate need of rain and the farmer was just wiping his brow from the heat and he was looking at his crops, which were stunted by the lack of rain. And then the Lord, see, the Lord says to pray for rain. That's the word of the Lord to you, pray for rain. You're to get before him and ask him for rain for this land. This is the land you're farming. It needs rain, both natural and spiritual. It really does. It's hard work to stand in the gap. But the Lord said he will reward openly your prayers made in his presence. Remember Elijah of old, we just talked about how he, we just went through that, so I won't read that part, but that's, God's encouraging you to pray and to pray for rain, to stand in the gap and to be a people that when you come to do your intercession, listen more than you talk and hear what God has to say to you so that you can get in the harness with him and begin to pray things that are his will. Because when you pray His will, what happens? He answers. There's a lot of times I've, I've prayed for some things that wasn't His will, and because I was persistent, He gave them to me. Anybody ever had that misfortune? <laughs> you think I'm kidding. That's a misfortune to pray and insist on something that really God doesn't want to do because He knows the outcome of everything. So it's better to hear His will in His heart and then get in the harness with that that's where the blessing is. And God is saying, pray for rain. And I heard the Lord say, this isn't the first time you've heard this, nor will it be the last. So how many are going to pray for rain? Amen. Who are the intercessors here? Pray for rain. In Exodus 16.35, the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years. Until they came to a land inhabited, they ate manna until they came under the borders of the land of Canaan. Now, 40 years, that's a long time to do something, isn't it? Can you imagine 40 years of the same meal every day? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the same thing? I mean, I love green fried tomatoes, but I couldn't imagine them eating them three meals a day for 40 years. I mean, after a while, hello. I love grits, but could you imagine grits three meals a day? That's it. 
for 40 years. How many ways can you cook grits? You can fry them. You can fricassee them. You can, I mean, grits are grits. I mean, you know, manna. For, but, you know, that here there was in this rhythm of getting, gathering manna. You know, just it was just a rut almost. And, and then in, jo, in uh, Joshua 5.11 it says, And they did eat of the corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And I heard the Lord say that this is a new day. And what worked yesterday won't work today. See, there's, I'm sure there's people that got up in the morning and looked for the manna. Even though the manna had stopped, you know, they didn't have to work for that manna. All they had to do is pick it up. You know, the corn and the other stuff had to be grown. There was labor involved in it. There was work involved in it, hot, sweaty work. And so they just like, you know, in one way that was kind of easy. You just get up, go out there and gather it up in the cool of the morning. It's enough to last you all day long. And uh, I'm sure that many folks, you know, long for that, that, the ease of that thing. But God said what worked yesterday won't work today. He'll show you what will work if you ask him. Don't let yourself get boxed in. God's challenging you to examine yourselves and to seek His face for a greater understanding. I was talking to the Lord one day about people putting Him in a box. Ever use that expression, don't put God in a box?